StoryWorth is well worth it. Give your mom the most meaningful gift this year and get started right away without the need for shipping by going to storyworth.com AMR to get $10 off your first purchase. Dipsy Doo. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories and guided sessions designed to turn you on and help you get in touch with yourself. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com AMR. Slip on comfort. Rothy's comfortable, washable, and sustainable shoes and bags make getting dressed easy. Check out all the amazing shoes, bags, and masks available right now at rothys.com slash AMR. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined by Amanda Loudon. Hello, Amanda. How are you doing? Hey, Sarah. I'm doing well. How about you? I am good. I'm good. The sun's shining here in Portland, Oregon. So. Hi. You know, it's just, uh, it's so, the weather's so quixotic these days, you know, you just never know what you're going to get. It is the truth. It really is. I mean, I'm in a um, completely different getup than I started my day with, you know? (laughs) Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the, hi, I got dressed at 8 a.m. That's why I look like I'm ready for a snowstorm. (laughs) That's why I have sweat rolling down my face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. See, I've been trying to dress a little lighter because it's like, okay, it's officially spring, but then our house is so dang cold. So yesterday I had this brilliant idea and I'm doing it again. Um, Do either of your kids, particularly your your 15 year old daughter, does she have a, um, I think it's called a comfy? It's like, yes, it is called a comfy. It's like this enormous kind of velour, a cross between an enormous hoodie and like a smock almost. And then it has fake shearling on the inside and has a hood. Oh, wow. It's completely unflattering, but gosh, it's so nice and warm. <laughs> you uh, borrowed one from one of your children? So yeah, because both my 15 year old twins have one. And so my son had left his lying in the living room for two or three days. I'm like, mm, mine now. So, <laughs> and he's so good natured. He came down. And he's like, Mom, I see you. <laughs> and, and he was fine with it. He was fine with it. So oh, that's good. Yeah, I don't wear it outside the house, but um, yeah, oh, it's kind of one of those here. Oh yeah, it's it's the bomb diggity. It is yeah. Um, we got ours off Amazon, so. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, my gosh, I mean, this morning it was I don't know the low thirties when I went running, and um, but I mean you know there's flowers everywhere. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Same here. Um, and I was actually um, I was just I drove Audrey to practice right before this. And I was commenting to her, I'm like, holy cow, I think we've had a 30 degree temperature swing from this morning till now. Yeah. And, and then we looked it up and and, and indeed that's what it was. So yeah. 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 And you're there in Maryland. I'm here in Oregon. Right. So, so yeah. So Saturday I went out, I decided I was going to do double digits on Saturday after kind of my long run had been eight or nine miles. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do 10. Definitely going to get to 10. (laughs) And so, you know, it was, it was mid forties probably when I started. So I was wearing a long sleeve shirt and capris, but I did decide to skip the vest because I thought, well, I think that's over. I think that's overkill. So anyway, so around mile eight, I, it was super sunny here on Saturday. And I just was like, you know what? I am totally overheated. I am going to join the bra squad. And I took off my shirt, tied my shirt around my waist. And there I ran in all my, you know, 50 50 something glory. 
Yep, yep. <laughs> Probably white tasty glory too, because yeah, yeah. we've been inside all winter. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, I also just thought like, give me some vitamin D. I mean, supposedly like, I don't know, 95% of people who live in Oregon are vitamin D deficient. So wow. I thought, yeah. give me some direct skin vitamin D absorption here. So, yeah, and you know, I, I mean, yes, I do run into people here in Portland. I know a lot. I run past a lot of people's homes that I know, but I just thought, mm, what's the chances they're looking out their window and judging and, uh. and who cares if they are? That, that's yeah. the way I look at it. Yep. Yep. So anyway, so, um, but I gotta tell you, I really didn't start um, doing that, taking off my shirt and running in just my bra until... I think last January, so before the pandemic, Molly and I um, went to Salem on uh, the capital of Oregon. It's about an hour away on like a little afternoon trip to go to two museums, one museum. It's a it's a museum of mental um, health history kind of, and it's in the place where they filmed One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, wow. And so, um, so they have a lot of um, memorabilia from the film and, and photos taken when they were on set there. And because, um, you know, that's what you do in Oregon for a Sunday afternoon with your running partner. That's logical. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a, a pita pit there and I just love pita pit for lunch. So we went down and we went running and, and it was January. I mean, it was like mid-January and it was shockingly sunny and warm, but we were dressed like it was mid-January. And so probably about halfway into that run, Molly's like, hey, let's just run in our bra tops. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> yes. And thus a trend was born. So Yeah, yeah that's so great. I yeah. I, mean, I said the older I get, you know, the hotter I get. I, mm -hmm. I, I really I'm becoming such an overheater. And um last few summers it is, you know, I mean it there's just, you know, no shirt necessary because it just I, I can't handle I can't handle mm -hmm. any material these days. Yeah, I'm I afraid of what I'll be like when I am um, in my sixties. So <laughs> Like, I just right. can't stand being overheated. I can't either. I can't. I I would. I mean, I've never liked it, but the older I get, the, it just gets awful. Uh -huh. uh -huh. Join me on a park bench. Let's let's kvetch some more, Amanda. Yeah. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> you bring the bird seed, and I'll bring the, I'll bring the crumbs, the bread crumbs. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> we can switch bags halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, um, so anyway, this has absolutely nothing to do with her topic today. Um, <laughs> we actually have a male guest today. Um, our guest is James Nestor. He's the author of the book Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art, which not the Lost Ark, but the Lost Art, which was named one of the best books of 2020 by a variety of outlets, including NPR.com and the Washington Post, which you write for, Amanda. James writes for a variety of prestigious publications, including The Atlantic, Scientific American, and The New York Times. His first book makes me feel a little short of breath. It's called Deep Freediving Renegade Science and What the Ocean Tells Us About Ourselves. Ooh, take a deep breath and stick around. 
If there's ever been a year to make moms in your life feel loved and appreciated on Mother's Day, it's this one. In the last year, my mom was the glue that held our family together as we navigated school closures, working from home, remote learning, and other obstacles. We're incredibly grateful for all mom did and continues to do for us, and that's why this Mother's Day, I'm honoring my mom with a heartfelt, sentimental gift the whole family can cherish together forever. StoryWorth. Here's how it works. Every week, StoryWorth emails your mom with a different story prompt. Questions you've never thought to ask, like, what were some of your hobbies when younger? Or, what did you read as a child? I love that question because my mom doesn't go anywhere without a book. She told the story of how growing up in Brooklyn, New York, her favorite book was, no surprise, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. She went on to talk about how books kept her company during my childhood as she waited in the car during dance and piano lessons. I had a good laugh since I bring a book with me while waiting in the car for my own daughter to take dance and piano lessons. After one year, StoryWorth will compile all of your mother's stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped for free. What a wonderful way to not only celebrate Mother's Day, but celebrate your mom every day with a book the whole family can read. Give your mom the most meaningful gift this Mother's Day with StoryWorth. Get started right away with no shipping required by going to storyworth.com slash AMR. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash AMR for $10 off. Relight your spark with Dipsy. Dipsy is the audio app full of short, sexy stories and guided sessions designed to turn you on and help you get in touch with yourself. The stories are immersive and relatable, except when they're delightfully not like regular life, so you can select the scenario of your choice, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. Dipsy also serves up wellness sessions to help you learn more about yourself and bedtime stories and soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off. Dipsy is launching a new section of content geared toward bedtime and winding down. So much to choose from. But let's get back to those sexy stories and a testimonial from a listener in an email this Midwestern mother runner wrote. I've struggled with low libido for multiple years, and like many moms, it has been more challenging since my kids were born. I've talked to my doctor about it and even tried a medication, but it didn't seem to help. I heard about the Dipsy app on the AMR podcast and thought there was nothing to lose on a 30-day free trial. I was pleasantly surprised how easy it was to relax with the audio. The stories are tasteful and well-produced. The best part has been how effective the stories are for sparking the mood. Each one is about 10 minutes, and they quickly get me turned on for intimacy. It might seem odd to send a thanks for this recommendation, but I truly feel like it is going to be very positive for my marriage. Right on. As she said, for listeners of this show, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial. When you go to dipsystories.com slash AMR, that's a 30-day free trial when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash AMR. Dipsystories.com slash AMR. Us runners should be good to our feet and the planet. Rothy's lets you do both at the same time. Rothy's shoes are straight out of the box comfortable, and like their bags, Rothy's shoes are carefully crafted with eco-friendly materials like repurposed plastic water bottles and marine plastic. As I said, Rothy's shoes are incredibly comfortable with zero break-in period thanks to their seamlessly knit-to-shape design. Rothy's are knit with thread made from plastic water bottles. So far, Rothy's has transformed more than 75 million bottles. Wow into beautiful shoes, handbags, and face masks. With a range of styles to choose from, Rothy shoes are a perfect way to add some comfort and style to your closet. While their style called the Point in Black is their top seller, I was enticed by Rothy's ever-changing array of colors, prints, and patterns. 
I'm kicking it in the sneaker in gray camo. It goes with pretty much everything in my wardrobe and suits my work from home, mother runner lifestyle. And as promised, they felt like a smooth hug on my foot from the moment I slipped them out of the box and onto my feet. I was also pleased Rothy's shoes run true to size. I'm a women's 10 in dress shoes, remember those? And a Rothy's 10 fit me perfectly. Oh, and when you're perusing the Rothy's site and you're tempted by some of the lighter colors, know that Rothy's are fully machine washable. Simply toss them in the washing machine and they'll come out looking good as new. Check out all the amazing shoes, bags, and masks available right now at rothys.com AMR. That's rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com slash AMR. Style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. Head to rothys.com AMR today. Well, James, thank you for joining us and for writing such a fascinating book. When I mentioned on social media that you're going to be a guest, so many women chimed in with praise for your book, and it's uh, aptly due. Oh, well, thank you very much. It's very nice to hear. I'm happy to be here. Good, good. Okay, so first off, I have to ask, breathe versus breath. Um, like, do you ever confuse the spelling of either of them? Cause dang, if I don't get confused, which has an E, how to pronounce one or the other, like, and I'm a good speller, like, <laughs> am I alone in this? About 80% of podcast hosts call it breathe. <laughs> Even though the, the PR agent put out this huge bolded flyer that said it's breath as in <laughs> death, but people still don't don't quite seem to get it so it is a very very common thing okay, amongst yeah. so many people i will admit i had to re-record the intro before you hopped on because i'm like i said it wrong i've thought about it all day and i still said it wrong at least you had good enough manners to re-record the intro because so many people uh do not and so people come up to me now and, and call the book breathe and so i might just switch it you know right. it might be easier my life might be simpler that way right. <laughs> so james as you know our audience is made up of runners um so they're going to want to know what you do for exercise uh you name it i've been doing martial arts for about 13 years i surf a lot i am constantly walking around the beautiful city of san francisco mm -hmm. i do yoga i do some breath work in the morning and um you know i'm a generalist i'm not specifically tied to one area or the other if i had my druthers i'd be out in the ocean every day that to me is the best exercise for the mind and and for the body mm -hmm. nice wow so according to um, what, what you learned, 90% of us are breathing incorrectly. So tell us what that means that we're probably doing wrong and what are some of the ills that it spawns? Yeah, when I first heard this percentage, I thought it must have been exaggerated, grossly exaggerated. But then these researchers had me look at the data and look at the stats. And if you just start looking at what's happened to our population when you've got, you know, 25 million people with asthma, 14% of chronic sinusitis, about 50% snore, about 25% have sleep apnea. I could keep going here. <laughs> it's this whole laundry list of chronic respiratory maladies. And these things have become so common that we think it's normal to have allergies and asthma and to constantly be plugged up and breathing through your mouth but it's it's not normal at all and once you start realizing that you can realize all of these negative 
effects of breathing in a dysfunctional way over months or years or decades. And we see that all over the place too, from mental disorders, ADHD, other neurological disorders, to even growth problems. We know that your mm. growth can be stunted by snoring and sleep apnea when you're younger, facial development problems, increased risk of stroke. I mean, I could, again, that's a whole other laundry list. Mm -hmm. And we've been looking at so many of these symptoms and treating these symptoms, but we haven't been looking at the core issue. And in so many cases, it's tied to our breathing. Mm. Mm. Wow. Wow. All right. So as runners, many of us already contemplate the topic you explore and discuss in your book, um, or one of the main topics, the nose versus mouth breathing. So what should we be doing as we're huffing and puffing through our miles? You should be breathing in and out of your nose. And that's easier said than done. Mm -hmm. um, and researchers have known this for decades and decades. There's so many studies into the benefits of nasal breathing over mouth breathing. The problem is so few of us are comfortable breathing that way because we have either structural issues in our noses or we're just not used to breathing out of our noses or our noses get clogged. And so we default to mouth breathing, which if you're a runner, you want to be operating efficiently right? And mm -hmm. we get most of our energy from our breath, not from food. And mm -hmm. so if you're operating in an inefficient way, breathing 25,000 times a day, what's that going to do to your performance and your recovery? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and so it's been fascinating seeing these elite athletes who are already at the top of their fields. They figure out breathing and they're just able to go so much further, so much faster for so much longer and recover more quickly. And this, this isn't some new age trick. This is physiology. This is how our bodies work and allowing them to function more efficiently will allow you to do more things because of course it will. So is, is that something like while active, I realized that we can train ourselves to while we're sitting here and I'm not, you know, panting or anything like that, that I could teach myself to breathe through my nose. But how much work does it take to, to teach yourself to breathe through your nose exclusively while running or doing other types of vigorous exercise? Well, it depends on the person. People have, everyone's got a, 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 seems like they have a various disorder with their breathing. Some people <laughs> who have clear nasal passages may have a very limited diaphragmatic movement. So it's easier for them to breathe through their mouth. But I think that, and so that's why I can't offer a blanket prescription for everyone because everyone's mm. different. But I, I think that once you become aware of your breathing, that's when you can start to change it. For a lot of people, this becoming aware of your breathing, you'll notice how dysfunctionally you're breathing, especially when you're jogging. And so if you've been jogging a certain way for years or for decades, changing that habit's going to take a long time. And this is why mm -hmm. so many people give up on this. They try it for a few days, said, that didn't work. That was awful. I'm going back to mouth breathing. <laughs> but some of these athletes, they've, they've had to follow them for for up to six months. And this one study by George Dallum, who's an ultra marathoner and a researcher, he found that these athletes were able to perform at their same level with 20% less respiration, performing at the same, saving 20% energy to perform at the same level. And if you think that's not gonna make a difference 
in your performance, you're you're nuts. So <laughs> it's not easy. That's the thing. For a lot of people, it's not easy. But mm -hmm. slow and steady, build it up. Don't try to overnight become a nasal breathing, mm -hmm. nasal breather. You're going to fail. But maybe for, you know, three minutes out of your hour-long run, you breathe through your nose and then exhale through your mouth. And then the next day, maybe push that to four minutes and just very slowly acclimate yourself to this. I think you'll be amazed what happens. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Right. So kind of um, piggybacking on that, talk to us about how stretching can expand our lung capacity and why as runners and humans interested in health, we should be motivated to expand our lung capacity. Hmm. So having larger lungs allows you to take fewer breaths and get more oxygen in with each breath. So that again is going to save you a lot of unnecessary wear and tear. If you look at society right now, so many of us are breathing just into the very top of our lungs, into those upper lobes, which are really inefficient at extracting oxygen. And if you just consider the lungs and the airways, when you're breathing these short breaths, you're taking air into the mouth, into the throat, into the bronchi, into the top of the lungs, but so little of that air is actually used in gas exchange. You take it in to exhale it without ever using it. So engaging more of your lungs, having larger lungs allows you to take those softer, easier breaths in and get more oxygen. So you can have a 35% increase in efficiency in your breathing by breathing fewer breaths but deeper breaths, which again, makes an incredible difference to your energy levels throughout the day, but especially when you're working out. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so is that something, so I meditate for 10 minutes in the morning and, you know, they, they focus so much or they, it's a, it's the calm app. And, um, you know, there's so much focus on breath work. Is that doing anything? Do you, do you think by sitting there and really concentrating on my breathing for 10 minutes, that's doing anything for me? Or does it have to be more directed and, you know, than that? Sure it is. I, I don't know of any other meditation that doesn't have you first focus on your breath. Mm -hmm. Do you know any meditation where you can just sit and <sighs> breathe through your mouth and not <laughs> think about your breathing? They, they don't exist. And I'm convinced those benefits of meditation that come early on aren't tied to mindfulness at all. They're mm -hmm. tied to focusing on your breathing. And you don't need to focus on Shiva or Buddha to get these benefits. You can just breathe this way and your body will respond. There's so many studies that have shown when people adopt this slow-paced, light breathing that's associated with meditation, they get more oxygenation to their brains, their heart rates lower, blood pressure lowers, and all the systems of the body enter into what's called a state of coherence where everything's working at peak efficiency. So meditation is great. Calm apps, great. Whatever you want to do is great if you're breathing in this slow, rhythmic, light, and deep way. And also when you're breathing this way, you can engage more of your lungs. So when, when we get older, especially after around 35 and your 40s and 50s, you start losing lung capacity. So you have to take more breaths to get less air. And that jacks your heart rate, it jacks your blood pressure, it stresses you out. So the key to healthy 
living, uh, especially when you're older, the yogis have known about this for 5,000 years, is to maintain that lung capacity. Don't let it shrivel up. And mm -hmm. what is yoga but stretching and breathing? Vinyasa flow has been around for 100 years, okay? Mm -hmm. That is brand new. The original yoga was striking a pose and breathing, which allows you to not only maintain, but increase your lung capacity, which allows you to breathe easier when you're not doing yoga. That's, that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. James, I have to ask you, did you always have such a fabulous sonorous voice or is this something that came about from your breathing? I just have to ask. No. Um, you know, all I heard growing up was, was shut up Jimmy from my mom because I was a real <laughs> blabber mouth. So, um, you know, I don't, it's, it's funny. You go from writing a book to listening to people for, in my case, for five solid years. All I did was conduct interviews. I didn't talk at all. And then the book comes out and you go from being the listener to the talker. So it's, a, <laughs> it's, an, it's an interesting change of, of roles. And they, they both have their merits. But um, that's my long way of not answering your question at all. Hey, all right, um, all right. I have no idea how, how this came about. I haven't worked on it, if that's what you're asking. I, I don't do vocal no, exercises. No, oh, no I wasn't. I, and I wasn't implying that you're like, you know, that you'll sound different once you get off the air. <laughs> you know but but it just it, you it's so relaxed and it just seems to me that it, it in my mind it, it's tied to you know you changing the way you breathe based on the research you did for the book that, that's very true and if you look at the top singers opera singers they're so tied to their breath because what controls your voice but how you exhale right? So uh, there's flow, but there's also tone within the vocal cords. But it's controlling that exhale because we're vocalizing only on the exhale. It's really hard to <laughs> vocalize on the inhale. So, so few of us focus on exhaling. And if you look at people, even in breathing classes, when they're like, take a breath, deep breath, they just pack air on top of air, on top of air, without ever having this extremely relaxed exhale. And to have that relaxed exhale, you have to engage your diaphragm. And this is so important, not only for the biochemistry of the body, but to circulate blood and to circulate lymph fluid. We have this huge piston in our bodies. It's the diaphragm. Mm. And if we wanna move stuff around, we have to engage that. How do we engage that? by taking deep, soft breaths in and deep, soft exhales out. Mm. Wow. Lot, lots to think about. I know. Maybe too much. I'll, ma I'll make my uh, answers a little shorter here. No, 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 no. You'll get the bullet points. <laughs> no, please don't. Yeah. <laughs> so um, as we often do, we, we ask mother runners on our Facebook page for some questions. And um, here are some of those for you, James. Mm -hmm. um, Emily told us she's been wanting us to do an episode about breathing for a long time. So she's very excited. Her question is rhythmic counted breathing. She says she often counts strides on her to, to exhale longer than she inhales. She wants to know if she's doing herself any good. And um, Teresa asked similarly, I've heard that having varying breaths in and breaths out counts can help. Um, for instance, not breathing in for four counts and breathing out for four counts. Is that true? And can you offer any advice? Yes, it seems like she's already ahead of the, the curve here. So yeah. 
if you inhale more than you exhale, you will tend to stimulate your body. And if you exhale more than you inhale, you will tend to relax your body. Hmm. So you can see this for yourself with a very simple technology of just using your hand and your brain and your breath by placing your hand over your heart and inhaling to a count of maybe three or four and then exhaling to a count of eight if that's comfortable. If you can't hit eight, don't worry about it. Just anything in the ballpark. And you'll notice that your heart rate slows down when you exhale. So if you're exhaling more than you're inhaling, you will be relaxing your body more. So that exhale is associated with a parasympathetic response. So this is a wonderful thing to do cycling. It's a wonderful thing to do running as well, because by allowing your, your body to stay in more of this relaxed response, you'll stay more aerobic, which is what you want. If you want to be burning fat, if you want to be operating at peak efficiency, you don't want to be pushing it into anaerobic too, too often. And it feels great because you're down-regulating your body while also working out. And so this is something that Dr. John Duyard has been studying for 40 years, 50 years of how to really get runners in the zone where their bodies are completely relaxed. You see these top marathoners and these people are completely relaxed. They're very rarely breathing from their mouths. Their bodies are very relaxed. This is a way of using your breath to get into that state. Mm, mm. All right. So we have another question. Um, this one's from Diane. And uh, I think like the other one, it shows that our audience, a lot of them really think about their breathing. So um, she said that Diane said that she read somewhere that she should not exhale on the same side foot each time. Um, in other words, when you exhale, it should not always be as you land on your left or your right foot. Um, it is better to alternate, which makes my mind hurt to try to think of that. Um, and, um, so that she said that she read that always landing on the same foot can be related to injuries in the leg. And she wants to know if that's true or false. That is utterly fascinating. I've never heard this before. I know, right? Uh, I, I do think that, you know. If jogging is a burden, if you don't have your headphones in and you're, you're not rocking out to some music, <laughs> this could be a fun little trick. It does sound a bit like hopscotch to me, um, which, <laughs> which is great. Who doesn't like a lot of hopscotch? Um, I'm just sort of blustering here because I've never heard this. Um, but I, I will say I can add a little bit to the, you know, inhales, how many steps, exhales, how many steps. Uh -huh. By mixing that up, and Brian McKenzie, who's an elite trainer here, has, has been developing all of these different mechanisms and techniques to breathing to reach that state. But it's mostly he's found to extend those exhales, extend your breaths between your steps, and then to come back and breathe normally, almost like interval training. This is a really good way of acclimating your body to doing this. And I've heard that after a while, people start to look forward to that time when they're maybe it's four breaths on an inhale and six, six um, steps on an exhale or whatever combination works best for you. I just want to advise everyone to start very slowly. Mm -hmm. Start with a pace that's very comfortable for you and build your aerobic base. If you immediately try to push it too hard, there's a chance you may get injured because we have anaerobic muscles and we have aerobic muscles. And if, and if you're constantly pushing too much, you can engage too, mo 
too many of those anaerobic muscles, which aren't as strong as the aerobic muscles. So uh, mm. with all of these things, uh, start, start very softly and mm. to a place of comfort. And the next day, maybe push it a teeny bit, go up 1% instead of Americans like to go 100% or nothing. <laughs> no, this is not, this is not a competition with yourself. <laughs> Just go into it gently. And if you look at the studies, if you look at the science, this is going to have a, a huge effect on, on your performance and your recovery. So you'll be able mm. to recover because you're not completely stressing yourself out every time you go out for a run. Mm. Sure, sure. Um, so Deborah has a question that comes from the weight room. Um, and she says, you're, you always hear to exhale and inhale at certain times during a rep but I've never understood why it feels so unnatural to me. And I cannot seem to think about my breath and actually breathe at the same time. What are your thoughts on that one? Well, uh, I am not qualified because I am not a breathing therapist or an elite trainer for this. Uh, I know I'm a, I'm a generalist in, in a lot of these areas. It is interesting though, that uh, the Chinese associate the exhale with energy. Um, mm -hmm. If you think about a boxer, something I've done a bit of in, in my life and in also martial arts, whenever you're striking, it's always on an exhale. So much so that when you're first learning to do this, they make you say, ah, you know, karate, like a karate chop or <laughs> they have to hear that because you can get injured if you're, if you're hitting on an inhale. It's the same thing with, with uh, weightlifting, I've heard, even though some people have been mixing that up. So what happens when we exhale is blood flows from our thoracic cavity out to the rest of our body, right? So uh, when we inhale, we are sucking blood into our thoracic cavity with, with the help of the diaphragm. And this is something that's, that's not often talked about, but it's a basic part of our physiology. So my understanding is that we will have more power on that exhale because we are eliciting more of that response within our body. We're also releasing that energy in our thoracic core, right? I definitely, when I'm running up a hill uh, in a race or I was a rower in college mm -hmm. and as a master's rower, and, and sometimes when I was really hurting and in the final sprint or whatever toward the finish line, I would do a huh! which I would do louder mm -hmm. when I'm not in front of a microphone. And, uh, and I just always, it got me just jacked up. It always, that, that works well for me. Yeah. I mean, th think of a, anyone playing tennis. Some people are mm. extremely vocal with this. Yeah, Other people Ellis, yeah. <laughs> are a little, a little more subtle, but <laughs> every single strike is on the exhale. Mm -hmm. um, everyone. And it's the same thing with golf. I was just talking to someone who was playing golf, never thought about his breathing before. And I was like, if there's one sport where you need to think about your breathing, especially when you're putting, um, it's golf, right? Um, so to exhale, you know how I said this exhalation is, can also be relaxing as well as your power. Mm -hmm. um, if you're inhaling when you're putting, all of your focus is going to go out. You, you want to be relaxed. So everything is happening, not everything, so many things are happening in, in sports and in training on the exhale. And the exhale is, is seldom talked about. Mm -hmm. All right, we have a, a question from Amy um, in the pool. And she says she's just learning to swim and she's having trouble expelling all of her air underwater so that when she turns her head, when she should just be inhaling, you know, she, she's got to kind of do both of them at the same time. She wants to know if there's any exercises she can do when she's not in the pool or any tips for when she's in the water 
She said, it's frustrating thinking I've exhaled it all only to bring my head up and find out that she hasn't. Yeah, so my my wife is a swimmer. She's been swimming for, for years and years and years. And she had the same problem, even though she used to swim competitively. And she found what really worked for her was uh, kundalini practices. Mm. These practices that really teach you to engage and control your diaphragmatic movement. So what is likely happening with her, again, I want to be clear, I'm not a doctor. I'm not Mm -hmm. a breathing therapist. I'm not here Mm -hmm. to diagnose or prescribe anything to anybody. But just from what I'm hearing, she probably doesn't have this fluidity of control in her diaphragm because if she did, she would be able to expel that air that quickly because so much of Kundalini is based on this very quick belly breathing, which what does that do? You're not really using your belly. You're engaging your diaphragm and loosening it up and when you take the big breaths in, in yoga and in Kundalini yoga and pranayama, you lower the diaphragm and massage the organs, which allows them to leach out more lymph fluid and more toxins. Um, And so by really getting control of this area, you can inhale very quickly and exhale very quickly and not even feel it. So I would suggest doing that. Uh, There's a lot of free stuff online on YouTube. Brett Larkin is a great teacher for Mm. beginning Kundalini. And if it doesn't help with your swimming, which I'm sure it will, it feels fantastic. And it doesn't mean you have to wear a robe or jewels or or turban (laughs) to do this. This stuff is open to everyone. This is just harnessing the power within your own body. And that's what these practices do. Interesting. Uh, So we've got another one, I believe, from Therese. And um, this is one that I think many, many runners are going to relate to. She says that she's prone to side stitches or cramps late in races or hard efforts. And she's heard of it, heard that it can be anything from dehydration to prolonged time at fast speed or how she's breathing. So um, what is the truth here? <laughs> well, again, I, I haven't seen her. Uh, and plus I'm not <laughs> qualified to, to do that. I, I will give some, some quick factoids and she can draw, um, you know, between the dots and, and see what works for her. But we know that when you're breathing through your mouth, you lose about 42% more humidity, which mm-hmm. is why when you see these people jogging, sometimes they, I mean, there's even these belts that they have six different water bottles, or I've seen people <laughs> cruising around for a 30 minute jog with 20 ounces of water and they're just, their mouths are just, <sighs> <sighs> so the first thing you, you have to do is stop breathing through your mouth. <laughs> if, if you don't want to get dehydrated, if you want to retain your moisture, and, um, and run more efficiently, breathe through your nose. It's as simple mm-hmm. as that. Um, I've heard through Patrick McEwen, which is a world, he's a world renowned breathing therapist, works with asthmatics, elite sports stars, as well as, as uh, Brian McKenzie, as, as I already mentioned. They hear this all the time from cramps. And we're told to like push through the pain, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, don't be a wimp, push through. This is your body saying something is wrong and it's mm-hmm. starting to break down. And about the, the worst thing you could do is just to push through it. So again, I know I'm, I'm sounding like a broken record here, but when you're able to really maintain your lung capacity and get control over your diaphragm, especially if those cramps are coming in the rib area, I don't know where her cramps are coming, but mm-hmm. if they're coming from that area, that to me says very clearly that those muscles aren't loose enough. 
They mm-hmm. aren't working the way they should be. We've prized these washboard abs and you know uh, tight clothes and tight belts. All of this is terrible for our breathing and it's terrible for our organs as well. So you have to have that area be loose. That's the way it wants to be. If the cramps are coming elsewhere, that could mean that there's a deficiency of blood flow to those areas. Mm. What's the quickest way of increasing blood flow throughout your body? It's to take control of your breathing and get a proper balance of CO2 and oxygen. So a lot of people think that CO2 is this bad thing. You got to get CO2 out of your body. Not the case. It's the number one vasodilator is CO2. So when you breathe too much, which is what you often do when you're breathing through your mouth, when you're jogging, people are almost constantly over breathing. You actually deny yourself blood flow and oxygen to these areas. And if you don't believe me, all you have to do is take 20 very deep breaths and you might feel some coldness in your fingers or toes. That's not from an increase of oxygen there but a decrease of circulation. And the same thing happens when you're jogging or doing any other sport. Hmm. Hmm. I'm gonna ruminate on that a lot after we finish recording this. <laughs> um, so, all right, so so Brooke wants to know, any breathing advice for runners with asthma? Again, we know we know you're not a doctor. She, um, she was only diagnosed two years ago and she's still trying to figure out her breathing on days when her asthma is really acting up. Yes. So asthmatics as a population tend to breathe way too much. And we know this because they've been recorded to have very low CO2 levels and carbon dioxide, that wondrous molecule that gets such a bad rap um, in the climate. Okay. Because it should, because there's too much CO2 and we're not going to go down that Avenue. I'm talking about in your body. It's about having a balance. You know, Westerners like to think it has to be this or that I am keto or I am vegan. And -hmm. that's how it is. No, your body doesn't want to operate like that. It needs a balance of CO2 and oxygen. So asthmatics tend to be mouth breathers. They tend to breathe Mm. too much. And having that chronically low CO2 is going to make their pH more alkaline. I won't get too deep into the weeds here, Mm -hmm. but that puts the body into a constant state of stress. So what have researchers done for decades is they have taught asthmatics how to breathe normally, which means almost breathing way less than they're used to breathing because asthmatics are what happens is they get into this negative feedback loop because they associate breath holding with an asthma attack. What happens when you have an asthma attack or a panic attack, right? You lose the ability to breathe and that's that's terrifying. So Mm -hmm. they adapt to this by unconsciously, (sighs) constantly over breathing. So you have to break that habit, get them to breathe slowly through various techniques and then they can breathe normally when they're doing activities. And I cannot tell you how many dozens and dozens and dozens of people I've met over the last few years who have massively reduced or reversed their asthma with breathing alone. And this has been documented in several studies, several NIH studies. And Patrick McEwen, again, is really the world expert in this area. Wow, wow. So I want to go back to something you said 
early on, James, that you said um, that you get uh, most of our energy out of our breath, not our food. Like, obviously, that comment stuck with me. Can you elaborate on that? Please. So right now, I like that you asked. Please at the at the end of that, <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> yes, um, and I can prove this to you by um, denying you breath for six minutes. And <laughs> and what's going to happen? Uh, you're not going to have enough energy to be alive, mm-hmm. to support all of the functions in your body. So if you look at the biochemistry of it, we use about you know, twice as many molecules of, of oxygen, atoms of oxygen as well, um, than, than we do glucose. So mm. we can store glucose, we can store food, we can store it in our muscles, right? We can store it in fat, but we constantly need a supply of oxygen constantly to burn that, to create mm. ATP. And we're so concerned about where our energy sources of food are coming from is that avocado organic (laughs) should i eat these carbs should i not eat this little piece of chocolate but so few of us are considering our breathing and how we're doing that and that most of our energy is actually coming from our breathing so we can get by breathing dysfunctionally right (laughs) we can compensate and the body's so good at compensating for so many things doesn't mean we're healthy. So mm-hmm. until you really get your breathing under control, until you're breathing well, I'm convinced now more than ever, and you can never ever be healthy, no matter what you're eating, or no matter how much you're exercising. And you can see this all over the place with these people who are so anal about every single calorie they eat, <laughs> they exercise all the time, and they're just chronically sick all the time. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes, that's tied to their breathing, specifically obstruction of breathing, snoring, sleep apnea, other chronic respiratory issues. Mm. So then, uh, you know, so people now are completely convinced, hooked. And so how can we, what practical advice do you suggest for how people learn to breathe well and get their breathing under, you know, control and serve them better? Well, it, it depends what issue you're contending with you know so many of us have have different breathing problems so again there's no blanket prescription for it the the very first thing i would do is to get rid of any obstruction so if you are choking at night on yourself it's called sleep apnea and it's destroying our health Um, if you have constant obstruction in your nose if you have trouble breathing you know during uh, allergy season then you have to clean out the pipes first. Um, <laughs> so you can focus on a zillion different pranayama techniques, but if you don't have a free flow of air in and out of your bodies, none of those techniques are going to do much. So that's really the first step. For a lot of us, that means just becoming aware of our breathing, number one, and to learn to breathe through the nose because the nose is this guardian of the body. So it controls our breathing rate in so many ways. It's really hard to hyperventilate, to overbreathe when you're breathing through the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the wonders of the nose. It also filters air and helps purify it. We get 20% more oxygen breathing through the nose than we do through equivalent breaths through the mouth. So it, it starts with those things. Again, easier said than done. Some people have structural issues, they need surgery right? Mm. But, but a lot of us don't. And I think that surgery has been overprescribed. And that's certainly what I've, what I heard down at Stanford and the mm-hmm. experts down there is 
someone will take a, a scan of, of a patient and say, Oh, uh, you know, you have this, this, and this, um, we need to put you into surgery right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, start, start slowly, start with a neti pot, the sinus rinse, start by becoming aware of your breathing, start by using a teeny piece of tape during the day. And at night, putting that on your lips to condition you to nasal breathing. And if that, if all these things don't work after a couple months, yeah, I'd start exploring other more intensive procedures, but I, I with all these things, start soft and start easy. Luckily, all these practices are free. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's no side effects other than that you're going to feel better. So you don't, um, I mean, once, once the world opens up again, would you suggest that people go out and look for breathing, you know, b- breath work classes or, you know, be focusing more on yoga for that? Well, we're, we're so good at rushing into things like that. And, and mm-hmm. I'm victim of this. Uh, more than anyone, but it starts with you. Um, it, you know, you can put this onus on, on your teacher and try to try to say, Oh, I'm just going to breathe for 15 minutes a day. And my breathing is going to be fine the, the rest of the day. That's not really how it works. It really starts with your own awareness and wanting to do this for yourself. So I would start with that. Uh, it's not as sexy as, you know, going <laughs> to a, a Kundalini class or yoga right. class, but Start with breathing awareness. Notice how you're breathing when you're jogging. Notice how you're breathing right before you go to bed. Notice how you're breathing in front of your computer. And so many of us are breathing so poorly when we sit in front of Zoom all day long. We, we know that there's been studies on it. Start with that and then slowly convert yourself to nasal breathing. And once you have that down, you can start doing these practices. Um, you know, you can start with, with Kundalini or, or you don't even need to go to a prescribed school of, of, mm-hmm. of breathing. You can breathe into a count of about five or six and out to a count of about five or six. Set a timer on your phone. Do that for five minutes in the morning. You can do that while doing anything, while watching TV, while looking at emails. And just breathing in this way allows your brain, different parts of your brain to come online and mm-hmm. synchronize. It synchronizes your cardiovascular system. It, it allows that CO2 to gently rise in your body and it feels amazing. And it's the simplest thing, which is why so few people are convinced it'll do anything until you look at the <laughs> science. So it does, this doesn't need to be uh, really complicated. You know, most things in health aren't eat whole foods. There you go. Okay. Mm-hmm. That takes care of your, your diet. Move around. <laughs> Don't sit all day. Okay. Well, that's that there's my exercise and, and be conscious of, of your breathing. Um, th- these are simple things, but you'd be surprised how few of us really pay attention to them. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. I would want to leave it there, but I do have to uh, go to the topic of your previous book, free diving. And do you think the New York Times is like completely obsessed with it right now? Like the, the, I feel, you know, I live here in Portland, Oregon. I feel the New York Times for a while was so enraptured with Portland. And it was just all these articles. And now I feel they just cover free diving so much. And I get so sh- like panicky reading those articles like that. The, the Russian guy who like swam mm-hmm. all that distance under the ice at Lake Baikal. So like, do you think free diving is like having its moment? It's funny because the only stories about freediving people here are when people die 
or when people break a world record. Mm -hmm. What they're not realizing is there is, this is part of our human culture. We've known we've been doing it for more than 10,000 years. There's archeological mm. evidence showing that. And again, it's not as flashy as, as someone doing this, this record feat of diving mm -hmm. very long or very deep. But all the free divers I know, uh, the millions and millions are, of, of them out there aren't doing this for competition. They're doing it because this is an underwater meditation. This is mm. a, a form of yoga that allows you to become very tied to your breathing and your awareness of your own body. And even better, it allows you to explore the underwater oceanic environment and be a participant in it. Because when you free dive, you're silent and mm -hmm. other marine mammals view you as one of them. They see you go mm. up to the surface, grab a breath and come back down. So instead of swimming away from you, they all swim towards you and you're mm -hmm. able to have the most incredible experiences I've ever had in my life by doing this with, with whales and dolphins mm. and, and other animals in the ocean. I know this sounds a little new agey until you mm -hmm. do it. So that's the part of free diving that I focused on in that, in that book. And free diving mm -hmm. is only a small part of that book. It's funny that people think this is all a book. It, it looked at the, the human connection to the ocean from the very top mm. of the surface to the very bottom of the deepest sea and free diving is a part of that certainly, but it's not, not the only story. So I wish there were more articles. I wish there was more press about this other side, this meditative nurturing side of free diving than the competitive side. Mm, mm. I feel a couple paragraphs in the, in the time story sometimes touch on that, but I mean, it's uh, I, I read every single one of them. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Does make me feel short of breath. So, well, James, it's been an absolute delight talking with you. So thank you so much. You've given us all a lot to think about. Thanks a lot for having me. Oh, well, Amanda had to hop as a true mother runner. She had to hop partway through that to go pick up her daughter. Um, uh, but it left me to be alone with him. So that I uh, so I got to go on a tangent or two. Um, wow, I'm gonna be thinking about this episode for a long time. Um, and gosh, I do want to plug his book again. Um, Breath, the new science of a lost ark and art. I'm gonna keep saying ark. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, all right. Well, if you haven't checked it out yet, you gotta go to the Mother Runner store, go to motherrunnerstore.com and check out our Go collection of merch. I'm really excited about it. Um, the highlight, perhaps one could say, is two pairs of running shorts, our first ever, a track style pair, five inch inseam with built in uh, liner, and then the fitted short that has a six inch inseam. And um, Mother Runner Pam emailed me yesterday, she calls them unicorn shorts because they are that rare. They are the perfect elusive short that she's been looking for. So and we, um, those are by Corsa and we branded them with a cute Another Mother Runner logo on the right leg and with our shoes on there. So check those out. We have um, running tank tops, some hoodies that are just flying off the shelves. Oh my goodness, already had to reorder more of those in. So we got you covered with our Go collection. Head over to motherrunnerstore.com. Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. Mm -hmm.